So this is it, the final episode in our mini-series called The Joys of Reading. And quite a journey it has been for us, covering the various reading stages and levels, whether you're personally just getting started or trying to make time out of your busy lives to keep that passion going, or if you're an absolute swatter, gorging on paper. Well, today, we look at it from a writer's standpoint. What's the process? How do you make a career out of it? And frankly, does reading more actually make you well a, a better writer? My name is Arun, with me is my friend Sangeet. This is another episode of Hey Arun You. So we have in our midst today, uh, without sounding too formal, Chandrima Das, a friend of ours from back in college, uh, who actually has made that transition to writing and was recently signed by HarperCollins for her first paperback, Young Blood. She's here today to talk through her unreal journey into this world of writing. Welcome to the show, Chandrima. Thank you, Arun. Thank you, Sangeet, for having me. So for our listeners out there, do you want to maybe just talk through a bit about yourself and how you got into it? Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll begin a little early. So I started writing or rather I made my first story when I was eight years old. So it came, came very naturally to me because my uh, father's a storyteller and he used to tell us stories. Every single weekend, there would be a new story. He'd read from uh, Rabindranath Tagore and other, you know, Bengali short story writers. That was there. And I published like a story in a newspaper without them knowing that it was a 13-year-old girl who was writing in, in the Sentinel, which is one of the largest newspapers in, in the Northeast. And then I sort of became a more normal child and got into engineering and studied for my boards and all of that. And then um, did very little of, you know, creative, uh, you know, the creative part of me was not really very active. I would say it was somewhat active. Went to IIM Calcutta, got my MBA, uh, graduated on the Institute Rankers list, got a job in New York uh, in financial services. A lot of my clients were investment banking firms, came back to India, remained in consulting, but now did social impact. So after nine and a half years of consulting, Mm-hmm. What ended up happening was I sort of, you know, quit my job, quit working full time and started dabbling around with the not so active creative part of my uh, personality and myself. And then writing emerged from there. So I'm going to stop here. I know this is a very overview overview of it, but happy to get into details as we continue. And, and you haven't actually even talked about uh, your presence on Twitter and uh, how you're one of the, the royalty when it comes to Twitter RT as well, isn't it? That's not, that's, I wouldn't agree uh, about being royalty. I have a very, you know, measly 2,500 followers on Twitter, but uh, it's, it's also something that uh, I was uh, tinkering around with back in uh, 2012 or so after I, after I came back to India and settled in Mumbai, it was some, one of the few creative outlets that I had because my job, uh, didn't really, you know, involve um, you know creative writing or creative thinking in a very you know uh, I would say with words. Uh, obviously, there was a lot right. of creative thinking and analysis. Right. Uh, so that kept that alive, and I don't know how I got a lot of followers early on. Then I stopped tweeting <laughs> as I started doing well in my job. I actually got off Twitter. I got off social media far and wide for five years, and then I kind of got back oh. to Twitter when I quit my job. 
Uh, I think for our listeners out there, and judging by how how we release our episodes, I, I have a feeling like by the time this episode comes out, you'd have been verified already. I hope not, because I think <laughs> with Twitter verified and all of those other things, I think with getting more visibility on uh, Twitter, especially, there's always a risk of uh, you know people also being nasty to you. That that's that's I think part of the downside of being visible. You did tell that you're know, the first time you published a story was I think when you were ten years old. I'm just I'm just curious now. How was that like? Uh, you know, because how did you know that? Yes, this is something I wanted to do, and I think you t- you mentioned your parents weren't aware of that. So this is this is really a fun question, Sangeeta. I love this question because uh, as I as I already mentioned, my father loves telling stories, and he is in a very you know in the traditional Indian way of like you know oral narration of stories. That's his style. and i grew up hearing that so i told him a story of my own when i was about 8 or 8 or 9 years old and it was obviously a ghost story because a ghost story is what my father told us so you know children tend to be mirrors in certain ways so if you if you keep reflecting a particular you know kind of thing at them they often like will create a version of it themselves and reflect it back at you so that's what i ended up doing i wrote uh, you know on paper like typed out a story uh for the first time when i was about 12 or 13 uh, i was i wasn't really young and uh, i sent it to the sentinel and my parents in the sense that my father knew because i you know put it in an envelope and gave it to him and i said uh, baba can you please uh, send it to sentinel and i wrote the address and everything and i was like baba can you mm. please post this for me so he's like yeah, yeah i'll do it and he kind of knew that there's something in it he didn't know what it what it was So then mm. it got printed as a reader contribution sort of story and it was a story about my misadventures with learning how to sing. It was humor it was basically a humor piece and it they even like drew a nice cartoon of a girl like wailing while the neighbors are like putting fingers in their ears. <laughs> it was a humor piece like on that and you wouldn't know that a 13 year old has written it like because it didn't feature in the children's section it actually featured like in their weekend edition as a reader contribution. So I was like, oh my god, this is so cool! Like I love seeing my, you know, words in print. And my mother found it very funny, so she laughed a lot when she read the article. And I loved the reaction that I could make somebody laugh with mm. just like you know, three hundred words that I had written. Right. And um, just getting that support from my father, him not asking who is this for, what is this for, and that yeah. beautiful, you know, audience response almost from my mother. I think that kind of moved something in me at that age. You did start off by saying that you know your dad used to tell you a lot of horror stories. Like children, we tend to you know mimic what adults do, and it's the easiest thing to do, right? So it's interesting how you did not necessarily go down the path of writing another horror stories, which maybe uh, your dad would have told you, but you actually thought of going down the humor way. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it was. It surprised me as well because the first you know oral story that I created. was a ghost story like it was a very simple you know 5 minute ghost story but the first thing that first published thing that i wrote was a humor piece i think the humor piece has something to do with experiences that are not from my parents but to do with what i was reading and what i liked reading so i hmm. think when i used to read wit really appealed to me and even when i was with my friends hanging out in school i realized that if i could make them laugh that somehow got me a very different kind of love 
than would uh, you know getting good marks in school or winning in sports because laughter is not competitive it has become yes. competitive now with stand up comedy mm-hmm. but you know in a sort of private gathering with friends if you're you know saying silly things or you're kind of empathizing with what is painful for them and kind of you know turning that grief or that sadness into a joke now that gets you something which is just you know no no compet no you know first rank no singing competition winning no you know being class captain can get you and that's just a, it's such a pure form of love absolutely and even like going back to the horror genre so to speak and you know we, we think about your first uh, self published book i'd say is uh, talking dead which uh, i think at some point hit uh, amazon kindles number one best selling in in horror if i'm not mistaken and uh, i think that was that was brilliant how, how did that make you feel like, you know this journey that you talked about to get to that stage and i imagine that would have been massive like what was what was that emotion going through you i would say a lot of it is imposter syndrome because mm. you know the other other day i was just talking to a friend of mine who's who's actually written like seven novels published with a lot of publishers and i was like how the f am i a writer like i was sitting in my t-shirt and shorts like sweating it out after the pan- pandemic in a summer and writing a blog of like short stories so i could just express myself and a lot of nightmares that i was having because the pandemic is, it was a psychological you know shutdown burden at that time and i was getting a lot of nightmares i was just writing them on a blog and then now a book is coming out which is being published by harper collins like how did that one and a half years happen mm. i have not been able to process a lot of it and in a in a very secret way i i kind of hope that this podcast is going to help me process it as well <laughs> no but even even with, i remember like um i was right at the start of the lockdown i actually got your book um and uh, it was a, it's a, it's a really short book but i, I quite like the the one set in new york uh, i think it was called room for two um and i and i was speaking to sangeet about this i mean we are not essentially the kind of audience for spooky horror stories i mean i i i get i get the scares when i'm watching a horror movie uh but i actually sat down to read this book it was actually fun i mean it was uh, it had the the hairs raising up my arms and everything it was, it was good it was a good good really good uh, moment as well uh within thank you for that arun i am so glad that you enjoyed that story i'm just going to tell you that uh, about 60% of it actually happened so <laughs> ah i see wow. so it's a good point and so originality and stuff right like when you come up with an original story and you're looking out for inspiration how does that work so what is it that you set out to do when when you begin writing it's changed over time uh-huh. so one of the reasons why i said that it's been very difficult for me to process my sort of writer's journey because it's been a lot of change in a year and a half for me Mm. you know uh, the way i write right now and the way i come across stories right now and the way i process them is very different from when what i was doing at the beginning of the lockdown where i'm like oh i'm just going to write a blog and share some random stories with friends right. so that there's been a lot of change i can tell you about how i do it now mm-hmm. not how i did it for the talking dead sure so now see i don't believe there are any purely pure original stories right because stories at the end of the day they come from a lot of symbols in our subconscious and events that are happening in our lives these are like two very primary sources from which stories come about mm-hmm. what none of this is super super original 
in a way that some symbol or some event or some emotion that you have come across in your life or you know have read about or have heard about somebody else has probably experienced that and probably has written about that too but what is really original is the perspective that you put mm. on it because mm. nobody else is like you you know if i sit down and write a teenage romance my teenage romance is not going to be the same as a john green teenage romance right it's going to be very very different it's going to be in an indian setting it's not going to be the same as a karan johar teenage romance it's going to be different because my perspective and my point of view is different if i write a teenage romance today versus if i write it when i am 55 years old that will be a different book it's even different when we read right so i think the real heart of a story comes from perspective it comes from theme uh mm. in it comes from how you interpret that character and that you're doing that with the reader you're not doing it alone so every reader will read your story in a different way i i completely agree with you on that point chandrama i too remember the so i've got a bit of a different story uh, as far as reading talking dead is concerned right the way i read some of those stories was i think the first time when you published a few of them on medium right yes. and uh, it came up it came up on my i think on my facebook feed and i sort of was like hey this is interesting and i think you did mention that this is going to be available only for a limited time and i was like okay got to read all of these <laughs> uh, so uh, so so i visited the link and i began reading some of the stories and like how arun said uh, never been a horror fan per se uh, i mean the best thing i liked about the goosebumps novel was the cover itself uh, but i never really uh, was a big fan of reading uh, the, the the genre but i got to admit that i think i loved your writing style uh, it felt extremely real and i think that's also one of the reasons why you mentioned that you know 60% of that was I think inspired by true events uh, but curious now right so when you look at picking up a genre now uh, you did come up with the talking dead and now you've got the young blood out as well do you ever think that okay i want to stick with this genre because this is something i've really read a lot about or and i'm just trying to go back to that other question which we asked which we discussed earlier as well right you were you were reading a lot of horror and then you sort of published something in humor so do you think that you might be better off suited for uh, writing horror at this point of time but would you really like to also try out as maybe some other genres as well and is that maybe a difficult decision to take such a lovely question sangeet this is such a i think this is a thing that i've been pondering about myself right because what is genre and then what do i want to be writing going forward that's a whole you know evolutionary question almost i think genre now when i look at it when i started off yes i was very like you know horror humor all of that now when i look at it i think genre is a label that publishers put on a particular piece of work so that they know how to market it and they know how to tell readers what to expect uh when i look at young blood so one of my mentors is aruni kashyap he's uh, he's he's a professor of creative writing and he's a very very well known uh, assamese uh, you know writer who writes in english as well as assamese and translates it through so when i uh, sort of you know showed him a few stories aruni's reaction was this is not just horror i was like right he's like you you need to kind of like label it you need to unlabel it a little bit so i said why why do you feel so because he's like there's there's suspense there's a lot of magical realism in this there's a tremendous amount of like you know there's a you've used a mystery structure so i'm like okay now he's like so when you send out stuff to publishers you need to label your manuscript you need to label your book you need to label your concept note but when you write don't label it 
and then let the publisher you know work with the labels later so sangeet to your question of like what am i going to write going forward or what am i kind of thinking of am i thinking of going out of horror i think the novel that i was i'm working with currently so i'm i'm working with the south asia speaks uh, fellowship where i am a i am a fellow this year and i'm working with aruni is uh, the novel that i'm currently writing it is horror but i you know if you, if i really had to label it it would be a dark fantasy more than horror because the fantasy elements are very very strong mm. so then the transition sort of is happening on its own in a in a way uh, and i think the other question that you asked was where does horror come did horror come to me first because i read a lot of horror i think horror came to me first because i got moved by horror because of the stories my father told me but also because of certain books that i read so i read dracula you know in the original unabridged when i was about 13 or 14 and i absolutely loved the book it's actually an adventure novel as much as a horror novel and uh, i was like this is so exciting this is such a great book and of course it had a lot of like violence and sex and all of that so, so mm. 13 year old girl reading all that will find it very very exciting anyway but i was very moved by Drac- when i read dracula i was very moved when i read uh, you know dr jekyll and mr hyde um and i read the read the abridged version of that so that was a big you know you 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 have this love for certain things you feel a reaction within yourself and you end up like echoing those things out more of course i have read a lot of other kinds of books later which have moved me in different parts of my life but horror just came because i felt so strongly as a reader for it our research team which is really extensive by the way they've picked up this quote that you had tweeted about long ago and i think it's very it's kind of connected with what you just mentioned right wherein i think your mentor was saying that when you're writing write uh, write freely and then when you sort of submitting the concept note try and figure out which box it might fit in and i love this beautiful quote that you've given write like a dog in untethered excitement bounding into unknown places just because you want and can but edit like a cat calculated relaxed and perfectly willing to cut out anything that doesn't meet your needs and expectations firstly cracker of a line i must say secondly when you're writing you are writing with a lot of excitement but at the end of the day when it's when it really is work right you need to have a certain workflow to you know making sure that the story is complete and you you have something substantial to submit to the publisher so maybe you want to throw a little bit light on how your workflow is and how how you sort of approach the whole process my initial writing process was sit down and write you have some sort of a story seed in your brain you sit down and you write it so that's how the stuff in talking that came about i think then what ended up happening is i realized that if i'm going to do this and if i have a you know contract with somebody and i need to deliver, deliver as a professional a professional needs to a have discipline b have training so these are two elements that i kind of inculcated in myself discipline didn't come super super difficult because if you've been in a corporate job for nine and a half years especially something like uh, strategy consulting you have the mm. discipline to work a lot essentially and you have the discipline to work with deadlines strategy consulting has a lot is a lot to do with meeting deadlines so discipline was not the you know big challenge that i had to overcome i think training and understanding what my process should be where sort of the two elements that i had to bring in so the process that i have now i and then i'll talk about the training a little bit but the process that i have now is very i plan and then i execute and then i plan and then i execute so when i say i plan 
I'll give you an example of one story that I'm working on right now. Mm-hmm. The seed of the idea came to me about six or seven months ago. But of course, I didn't have any particular project to, you know, put it in. Then I had a conversation with Audible and they were like, you know, we want you to write this audio series for us. And I was like, yes, that's great. Give me money. <laughs> so then I was like, oh, this idea kind of fits with this concept. So I took that idea, which was about, I would say about three lines or so. XYZ happens, XYZ character, XYZ event. That's it. That's sort of like, here's a person, here's a spooky element and here's the situation. That was kind of the idea. Then I took it and I fleshed it out into a 500 word sort of, you know, story in a way. It's a very like, you know, you tell it, ki, you know, ek, Sheetal went into XYZ, then Sheetal ke saath aisa hua, mm-hmm. then this happens and that happens and then you f- find an end. So if I check a few elements when I develop that story idea. One is, do I have a clear protagonist? Am I very, very clear that there is this one, you know, mm-hmm. one or two or, you know, how many ever protagonists there are. So protagonist needs to be clear. Two, setting needs to be clear for me. So is this, you know, inside a house? Is this in a park? Are there multiple settings? Is this a parent's home? Is this an office? Where are we? So you kind of like, is this Calcutta? Is this Delhi? Because then the weather will change. The kind of people you meet there will change. Is this New York? It's, it's going to be different. And then what I really focus on when it comes to the plot is, what is the plot doing to the character? I think that is something very, very important for me in, in the 500 lines. As in, I really want the character to change in a story. That is something okay. that moves me. So I always look for change. Like, what is the change that this person is going to go through? And for that, I look at what were they initially? Like, A, point A, who are they? Point B, which is end, who are they? And then, then that's how you get sort of like the very, you know, nuggety outline of the story. This is, a not, hmm. this is not an exciting process. This takes the fun out of like, putting on your hat and going to work in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to dance on the page. You don't get to dance on the page when you have a 500 word outline. Someone's choreographed the dance for you. Now you have to make the moves. (laughs) Then I execute it. That's what's made writing more professional for me. This whole like, you know, process of getting the outline down. And then I obviously do scene structures and I kind of like put them down. I look, look to create conflict in different scenes that there needs to be some sort of conflict internal or external, whatever it is. And then I execute, then I edit. So I won't get into the details of it, but yeah, all of this was not there when I wrote The Talking Dead. What was there in The Talking Dead was write, edit, write, edit. There is no choreographer choreographing this dance. And if, if this was something like Nolan's story structure, you'd have the protagonist like fighting himself at some point. <laughs> you often have that in a lot of other stories also. You often have that. Frankenstein is a great example, right? Of a yeah. protagonist who's fighting himself yeah. and sitting outside as well. Exactly, exactly. But just coming back to this whole thing about uh, character setting and ideation and everything, putting pen to paper and writing that first opening line, like I'm, I'm thinking back to, you know, back in uni when we used to have like assignments or write a thesis. Um, and there'd be this moment where you'd open up your Microsoft Word. You think you know what you're going to write about. You have the title written hit save <laughs> you save the document and you go that's it you know i feel like i've done half the job like half the battle one and then you start okay what's my first line going to look like what is that emotion for you like how 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 do you go across that i i am very bad at starting i'm very good at finishing things so i think some people get their dopamine hit from like starting projects i don't i hate starting projects i'm just like someone has to push me someone has to give me a deadline but you know, I love finishing. So I'm I'm the kind of person, I, I think you were, you sort of said, you know, when you 
and close the Microsoft Word document. That's mm. when I get my high that, oh my God, I finished. So I often have a tendency to finish things before they actually finished. That's my challenge. When I write the opening line, I uh-huh. am like, I don't want to do this. So my opening lines to every story has to be rewritten many times because I am in that zone where I'm like, I just don't want to start this. Somebody just like rescue me. <laughs> and, and, and do you like, uh, so when you say like you write the opening lines, but you have to edit it, is, is that on the spot? Or do you like let your brain sort of breathe and get the flow, the creative juices flowing and eventually sort of delete it at the end or edit it out in the end? Um, so now what I do is I typically like, I'll just write okay. the whole, a whole scene at least. Minimum one scene is what mm. I will write completely. Only then will I edit it. And my first edit is usually for grammar because I'm being very kind to my future self and saying, when you write something, clean it up. Don't leave a mess. Mm. After that, we will edit for voice, tone, detail, you know, cut out the excesses, all of that. And after writing once, I typically don't edit. I end up rewriting because it's often really bad. Like Talking Dead has no rewriting. Talking Dead only has writing and editing. Now what I write has a tremendous amount of rewriting, not just editing. I see. I I just remember this uh, funny quote from uh, um, the guy who wrote Psychology of Money, uh, Morgan... Morgan something, Morgan Housel or something. Uh, He actually said it's uh, it's a bit like, uh, you know... uh, like writing the entire process, it's like 50% thinking, 5% typing, and the rest 45% actually deleting all the bad parts. He's right, is all I'd say. Maybe not the percentages. I think the percentages might vary for different people. Yeah, maybe it's just exaggerated uh... for comedic effect, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so Chandrama, uh, the entire process, like you have mentioned earlier, it's, it's not something that's super exciting, right? Yes, I think when you get that brainwave and when you see those, like how you said, you see about three to four lines and, okay, maybe I can create a story out of this and everything. But after you finish the first draft, let's say you've done the grammar edits and all of that, uh, how much of the process is still pending, right? When it comes to edit and, and rework, is, is that just half the job done? And uh, how are you like how do you as a writer sort of keep yourself motivated when you have to go about rewriting the story because what this means is as you sort of rewrite the story again I'm guessing you might still need to get involved a lot more about the, the character's arc and and maybe I'm sure at that point of time you're going to be also dealing with a lot of ideas that might come on the spot right because you're thinking okay I've taken the story to a certain way this is the character arc but here's an interesting idea that sort of come up when I'm now rewriting the story. So at some point, some of these ideas are great, but then at sometimes you do definitely want to keep these distractions aside. Does that happen to you? And if it does, how do you sort of deal with it? I do get ideas after the first draft. And what I've typically noticed with myself is the ideas I get after I've written the first draft are usually the better ideas. So I kind of like, I've, I've noticed that when I incorporate those ideas, because I've become so familiar with this person that I'm writing about or writing through, right? Or I would right. say they are writing through me. I've become so familiar and so acquainted with them that the ideas that are coming in the rewriting are typically much deeper. You know, they're more mm. truthful to that protagonist or those protagonists. So I kind of prioritize them. I think the other thing that you talked about is not exciting. I think I find these ideas coming and breaking what I've already done. I actually find that very exciting because there's a part of me which says at the end of the day, you are, uh, you're, you know, writing is, it's about expression, but 
if you're doing doing it professionally it's also about being a good craftsman and being mm. a good craftsman means you need to have a product that kind of you know it's the best version of itself you know it should match the kind of you know idea that came into your head does it feel true to that and that idea itself is very abstract yeah so like only when i bounce these you know next set of ideas with that story inside my brain and say you know does this make you feel better more like yourself and then the story almost responds saying yes this makes me feel more like myself and sometimes when i bounce those you know later ideas they're like the story is like no no you're taking me in a direction where i don't want to go so don't take me there so it's almost like there's a it's it's a little intuitive in that sense and mm. this is this process i find very like a lot of fun maybe it's a good time to bring up the the elephant in the room about writer's block so you know like a lot of the listeners right now who who probably thinking about writing and maybe have these voices in their head about how to go about it but i think a writer's block is that weird time when you kind of relying on your 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 imaginary friends and they just refuse to speak uh, did did you have ever go through that way you just didn't know what to do or you just just went through this blank space where you knew you had to do something but you just don't know what was going on like what is that emotion like what does that feel a plumber doesn't get plumber's block right a plumber mm. will go and do his job because at some level he's not thinking of himself as an artist his ego is not involved that oh my god you know every day i have to produce the best work possible the most inspired work possible he's like this is a job writers to some extent also need to have that lack of ego and say if i write badly today it is all right it is my job to sit in front of that screen even if i can eke out 100 words 200 words let me at least do that it's a profession you have a you have deadlines to meet mm. so that's that's the belief that i desperately cling to obviously my life doesn't work like that mm. obviously there are days when i am tired it's not writer's block it's not that the you know ideas are not coming mm-hmm. i'm just mentally too tired to process them the ideas so- are always there the voices are always there right and so so basically what he's saying is just like cut yourself some slack don't don't go too harsh on yourself you can't like force creativity just let yourself off the hook is is, is that basically I'm it saying yeah be okay with writing badly mm. you know i think there's there there are there are there's a school of thought that says you know you must write every day right. i right. i would say you must write every day even if it means writing badly on some days so i'll say cut yourself some slack on the quality mm. just write it's all right it's okay you'll kind of find your way around the whole thing on some days you'll work you're working blind it's all right to not yeah. get it right do you have a story that you'd like to turn into a full-fledged novel or are you thinking about writing your first screenplay that you could sell to netflix Our series sponsor Skillshare might have the perfect creative writing course that you could sign up for. Skillshare is an online learning community where you can choose to learn just about anything. Make sure you click on the link in the description to get a 40% discount off your annual subscription. Be okay with writing badly because it's all right to not get it right. Chandrima drops more pearls of wisdom like that one on the next segment and also tells us her crazy story of how she got a book deal with Harper Collins India. You know, you've sort of started off in the short story format, right? And I know a whole bunch of folks who sort of want to begin off with 
they've got an entire 400, 500 page novel in front of them and they've got character plot lines and everything. If for somebody who reads, who's been reading as much as you, I'm sure that would have been something that's come to you as well. Any reasons why you sort of wanted to start off in the short story format? Okay, so as a child, I didn't have a great attention span. I loved short stories. <laughs> because they'd, you know, they'd, they'd be, they titillate you just enough. You don't have to, you know, keep reading for 300 pages, 400 pages to kind of, you know, get your hit, dopamine hit, so to speak. So I loved short stories as a child, especially as a younger child when I initially started reading. As a writer also, I really like short stories because if you're beginning, like especially for me, when I was beginning, I think working with the element of plot, you know, uh, character, ending, all of that theme, it made more sense to me because I could workshop a short story much faster. It occupies less, less brain space inside your head as a writer. Mm. So you can kind of like, you know, if you have to throw out a scene also, it doesn't mean that you have to change 20 scenes after that. You throw out that scene, maybe you'll have to substitute something for it. That's all right. You're working with a much you know, smaller, more flexible canvas mm. in a way. Mm. So mm. I started off because of that. I mean, everyone has a very different journey. Some people start off with novels because they love novels. I started off with short stories because I am a junkie and I need my ease ease of working. I'm like, I'll just take baby steps for now. And, and how did, how, how was that experience for you, you know, after you've written that, uh, that short story to actually go about self-publishing that book? I mean, what what was that like? I mean, how easy is it? And again, just as a follow-up question, how what was that transition from self-publishing to now being, you know, being picked by HarperCollins? What's that journey like? Is is there a, a, a? I'd imagine there's a massive difference, but what has that been for you? It's a crazy story, to be honest. Like, if I try to find logic in that story, I am unable to. So <laughs> I, what ended up happening was, so I, I, I didn't completely stop writing in that sense because I used to still do oral storytelling. I would do live right. shows in Bombay with like tall tales and I did like some with Commune as well, which is good because I kept writing with the short story format, just not for, you know, the written word, but as a performance. Uh, now what happened when the pandemic it was I couldn't perform I couldn't do like whatever any open mics or anything and then I was sitting at home and I was you know not I had just completed a you know consulting part-time gig as well just after I had quit my job I was still working and I started getting these nightmares and I was like oh my god I need to express myself somehow and I was getting these old memories and whatever and I was like Mm -hmm. okay I know this is a result of um, the pandemic and isolation and you're not used to this why don't you write? I kind of told myself. So I wrote these on Medium and I said limited time because I thought these will be horrible. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, this is a project and this is, you know, to help me, you know, soothe myself in a way and uh, sort of keep the creative juices flowing because I wanted to try a creative career after I had quit consulting. I didn't know what it would be. And I think that's where Sangeet encountered some of those Medium posts. I My plan was to delete them. Then somebody wrote on my Facebook, Ki, uh, can you please put them on Kindle? Because mm-hmm. I find it easier to read on Kindle. Right. And I was like, oh my God, why don't I compile these? Like he, he or she wrote it after the first or second post itself. So I'm like, oh my God, I should probably compile this and put it on Kindle. And I thought I'd price it as zero. So right. then that became my whole plan. So then hmm. I was writing them and I was like, okay, four stories in, we're good. Four stories is all I'm going to do because this is all I can do in like six or eight weeks. Then I and- put them on Kindle, compiled them, wanted to price them at zero. Couldn't because Kindle has a 49 rupees minimum. Right, I see. Okay. And then what ended up happening was I 
you know, I shared this on my social media, you know, telling people, hey, you know, here's this set of four short stories that I've written during the pandemic. And this is like a self-published thing. And I made the cover myself, all of that, like just being like very, I was very happy that I had finished a project, in like a writing project so fast. It was my first, like, you know, longer writing project. And I was really shocked by the response because people started buying it, like friends and family started buying it. And not everybody has a Kindle, but the people who did have Kindle started like buying it. It hit number one in horror and it stayed there for like about 10 days or so. The hmm. book also made it into the top 100 books on Kindle in India. Oh, wow. Which was very, very surprising. But I think because of these high sort of, you know, bumps that it got in terms of the Amazon rank, uh, somebody at HarperCollins found me and she downloaded the book and she read it. And then, so that's Ridhima Kumar, my editor. And so then begins Ridhima's story. So Ridhima is trying to contact me. Now I have closed my other's message folder on Facebook. I have, you know, closed my DMs on Twitter. So she's like, <laughs> how do I find, she's, I can see her, but how do I get through to her? So Ridhima, she was very persistent. So she found me on LinkedIn and oh, she wow. sent me an email and I didn't check wow. my LinkedIn for a while and then after a while I saw it and Riddhima was like listen I'm from HarperCollins and this and that and uh, can I set up a call with you uh, you know want to discuss a project and he thought then it was spam like, I thought if somebody is just like, you know I thought it's kuch bhi hoga then I went to her profile and checked and I'm like yeah it says commissioning editor at HarperCollins wow. then I checked then I'm like yeah it says she has you know she's linked to Anand Padmanabhan and all these people who are at who are you know people at HarperCollins and I'm like sure. oh my god maybe she's legit so I gave her my phone number and then Ridhima calls me and says, listen, uh, we, uh, I think uh, I'd like to commission a book that you write. I said, okay. And she's like, would you be okay, you know, writing something in horror? I said, yeah, why not? This sounds very cool. And then she's like, you know, based on uh, real life experiences in different Indian colleges, because a lot of your stories that you put, put in Talking Dead were to do with your experiences in college and like, or they are just set there on urban legends that actually have happened or you know first person accounts i'm like dude like i've exhausted all of them in that book there is nothing else she's like do some research no please no please no so she was like she was kind of nudging me so i said give me two three weeks i'll look around and see if there are urban legends setting indian colleges if there are first person accounts of the supernatural in indian colleges then i'll get back to you a part of me really wanted to say yes to her right then and then and say, you know, I'll be HarperCollins author and blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, I should not commit to something that I can't deliver. So I went around researching. And I was very shocked to find that there were a lot of really strange, interesting and uh, some of them are really like depressing stories as well. So it's mm -hmm. not about, you know, the titillation of the ghost story. A lot of it has to do with a lot of difficult psychological experiences that students undergo in Indian colleges, you know, whether it's about, you know, not getting, not being good enough, encountering that whole thing of not being good enough, mm -hmm. encountering things, you know, about, you know, falling in love for the first time, being challenged about not being good enough in your career, you know, struggling with marks, struggling with being away from home, living in a different city for the first time. A lot of these urban legends, Mm. had hidden nuggets of these kind of psychological imprints in them. So I was like, okay. Then I went back to Ridhima and, you know, to HarperCollins with a concept note saying, you know, here's what I'm thinking. This is, this is kind of what I will work with. And I found it out. And they're like, yeah, go for it. Here's your, here's your, here's your contract. And I'm like, this is really crazy. Sorry, <laughs> <Yeah>. isn't it? <laughs> 
this is really crazy like what's happening i have a book contract with hapo collins and then it got worse okay so audible found me because of the talking dead and somebody from audible reached out to me and said we want to make an audio book out of your self published book i'm like why <laughs> they think like, no no we want to do it we read it and we think it's great fun we'll pay you a little bit of money but why don't you come like you know give us the rights you don't have to do any new work so i gave them the rights they made an audio book to be honest i haven't heard the audio book myself yet <laughs> but then what ended up happening was um, they uh, they've given me a contract now to write an original series for them so that's actually what i'm writing right now for uh, audible india it's it's going to be on their platform it's not a it's not a like it's not going to be in print format it's an audio show it's an original audible series so that's like that's basically so now you know why it's such a long crazy story and why i'm having so much difficulty processing it i was a strategy consultant who like graduated from iim calcutta and doing like social impact work and now this is my life this is like they are not linked to each other it's, it's two different lives And and just going back to that audible thing, I mean, it's it's just crazy. I I I can't imagine how it would have been like like if I were in your shoes, how I would react. Uh, someone from Half a Collins actually trying to contact me, turning out to be you know the real person, and you know a legitimate deal going through you being commissioned, and before you know it, you've got an entire deal and Audible as well. Now with Audible, what was the process like? I mean, how would you perceive um, that reception or consumption? in that format if you see what i mean like talking there it was there on kindle for a while and you had your friends and family and everyone uh buy it and you know it made it to the top 100 um has there been a different sort of viewpoint with audible and uh the way you know that those that medium is actually consumed in in india or or you know just the world in real this is just you know just harking back to uh, our earlier podcast episode where we actually talked about the similar uh concept of how um, you've got the likes of kindles and audibles uh, making it mainstream these days and people not having uh, necessarily a, a bad opinion about them anymore like say 10 years ago if you picked up a kindle versus uh, a physical book people the purists uh, at least would would have yep. a notion about it uh, but with audible i imagine that perception has changed what was that reception like for you so i'll give you sort of the industry pov first mm-hmm. which is um, uh ebooks grew uh, significantly when the pandemic hit because i think physical book supply was hit but ebook uh, growth hasn't sustained once supply chains opened up and people could actually get books in their house audible also grew very very quickly very exponentially when the pandemic hit but audio has actually remained sticky they've retained the new audiences that they found it's quite interesting that they did you know of course the majority of the market continues to be paperback hmm. but audible has been audible or i would say audio in general because there's a lot of other platforms like storytel uh you know there's books on google and all on audio google play and all on audio as well uh there's kobo there's a lot of other sort hmm. of uh, entities out there so audio seems to be high growth and sticky it's a very small portion of the market i think from a legitimacy perspective what's really helped with audio is audio is audio has gatekeeping unlike a self published book which anybody can put on kindle there's right. no gatekeeping involved hmm. but with audio on some some of these platforms there's a level of gatekeeping that's there and then a lot of you know the production is being done by audible or by former public like i would say not former traditional publishers like penguin has its own audio um hapo collins has hapo hapo broadcast if i'm not wrong that's what they call it 
and a lot of the other sort of you know publishers have their own sort of audio arms that have come up they hire voice recording artists studios producers uh, sometimes they get a bit of music in editing all of that to, to produce audiobooks audiobooks are difficult and expensive to produce you know writing a kindle self published thing is not the barrier to entry is not very high barrier wow. to entry in audio is pretty high so there's so i think because of these kind of back end dynamics that are happening uh i know gatekeeping is not the best of things but it ensures a certain kind of quality now audiences at the end of the day will take what is uh, you know what tastes better they will eat the food that tastes better uh, and has less risk of like them coming up with something which is really off or you know unformatted or badly done so audiobooks haven't had that issue but self published books do have there are self published book you books you will encounter which are not done very well a lot of them are done really really well but because you know credibility is a bit of an issue mm-hmm. so that's there's a whole dynamic happening there does your approach change significantly because of the format or the medium because i mean we've got a whole bunch of different formats available right we've got blogging we've got platforms like substack uh, we've got we've got folks who sell stories on medium as well and of course you're writing something for an audible series so does your approach uh, and does your writing style is it sort of influenced by the format either because of you know something like freedom of expression or maybe the format of distribution or consumption as well lovely question sangeet it does change depending on the format that it's primarily made for so if i am writing for paper uh, and my primary sort of even though the paper book will become an audible audiobook as well or you know an audiobook in general across platforms the sort of you know the motivation is that you're primarily writing for somebody who's engaging with it on paper when you write for audio you are engaging with somebody who's going to listen to it so one of the mm-hmm. things with audio is repetition is okay and repetition is good so if you want to repeat a thought a few times so that your you know listener kind of gets it that's not a bad thing you can you know you mm. sort of can decide how much time and emphasis to give on an idea by using repetition the other thing that i would say with audio is simplification and colloquialism so mm. you don't want to use very very difficult words when you're doing audio because everybody may not be familiar with it in terms of how it's pronounced that's in that's the thing with you know when you're reading it on paper you can go back check google whatever you can figure out oh you know check. you can read it and say okay it was used in this context with audio yeah. you don't want to do that the other thing you you can experiment with it with audio is how somebody's delivering it right you can when you do dialogue when you do you and you can write in first person a lot more so when you're writing in first person it feels like somebody's telling you the story so that's i find it very nice to write you know first person stories in audio mm. i hark back to my days as a live storyteller for my audio writing you know so i read them out when i edit them instead of you know looking at them on paper i read them out again and again and again so i look for music in my sentences is there a particular mm. cadence is there you know are there alliterations there so mm. you're looking for like how the sound would work and and uh, just sticking with that uh, would you also maybe consider um just thinking about the creator economy that sangeet alluded to these days i mean is it, you know you know we talked about substack you yourself have had experience in medium um there are also these uh, short story paying markets uh, which have emerged of late uh, paying and non paying to be honest i mean people do it for fun because they just enjoy it they just want their stories to be read or you know see the views but there are also people who may do it um for a you know 
uh, just just to pay for their uh, for their latte or something like that has that been an option that you've ever considered so say in between you publishing a book you had some spare time you had some ideas maybe throw it out there for others to see it's an interesting question because uh, i think i i'm going to be forced to reveal something about how i see myself okay. because of this question so sure, so sure. um, I've 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 become one of those uh, stingy people who's like um uh what's in it for me when it comes to mm. my writing I think this mm. is one of the downsides of seeing yourself as a professional is that you start start asking you know if I wrote the story and if I gave it to XYZ for an anthology a paying market or a non paying market what's in it for me mm. so if the answer becomes fun then I'm like but would writing this actually be fun for you would you approach it as a professional so then i'm like hmm. no it's not fun so then i'm like oh you know should i be if i'm submitting to say a pseudo pot or a nightmare magazine or somebody you know these are aspirational mm-hmm. places for a horror or even like strange horizons which is an aspirational place for a science fiction writer to you mm-hmm. know put from some of the short stories then i'd be like oh my god what's in it for me is very very easily answered because you get to be in nightmare magazine man <laughs> you get to be in strange horizons that's just amazing that would be crazy so then you do it but if somebody saying you know hey i have an anthology and could you submit here my question would be again what's in it for me hmm. so that that's it's it's almost like i'm revealing a harder darker side of myself but it's there because uh, you know exposure is not why creators after a certain point should be creating i honestly like don't believe people should be doing that after a point On the next segment, Chandrama explores the ecosystem available for writers, what makes a national bestseller, and goes on to talk a bit more about what's in store for readers who will be picking up her new novel. So, for a writer today, um, let's say a writer like yourself in India, what is that ecosystem like to say promote and support uh, a person trying to make that journey into writing? or even writing their second novel or a third novel continue that journey what is that ecosystem like in india and now that you're with um, a reputed multinational uh, like harper collins do you actually see there's a difference between how it is in india versus say the rest of the world i wouldn't compare india to the rest of the world more broadly but let mm-hmm. me compare india to say uh, the ecosystem that there in the uk or in the okay. us Sure. So in the in the United States and in the United Kingdom there is this whole thing about you know creative writing MFAs you you do you get a professional sort of you know training in how to work with stories there are uh, degrees in uh, you know film writing as well right mm, mm. in new york uh, there there's a bunch of different universities and colleges that do film studies if you look at india screenwriting and i'm not talking about like novels screenwriting's first course was there started in F, uh, the fdii in pune only mm. i think in the early 2000s if i'm not wrong before that there was no screenwriting course oh and screenwriting oh, wow. at fdii is one of the few sort of you know accredited writing courses that are there so there's a lot of you know education around english even around regional languages literature but it is not about creating literature all of those courses are about understanding dissecting and uh, engaging with literature as a consumer and as a cultural influence 
not as a creator of literature so okay. if you're looking in india for like a professional course or an mfa there isn't one it doesn't exist um there's a lot of stuff in the informal economy though that's come up especially because of the advent of the internet and how you know the overall creator economies become you know much much bigger and there's more money so money creates changes i think money flow creates a lot of changes in different places so if you want to for example understand how to work with stories or how to work you know how to do creative writing there's a lot of independent you know people who are teaching different courses so the storytelling uh, organization that i was involved with tall tale storytelling they do creative writing courses then there's stuff like himal himalayan writing retreat which again they do creative writing courses they have a sort of residence program uh, at a resort in the himalayas where somebody teaches you creative writing the basics of it for a few weeks uh, there are, there are residencies as well like sangam house where if i'm not wrong the novel that i'm currently reading is milk teeth by amrita mahale and amrita actually went and stayed at sangam house for like a few months and did her residency in creative you know writing almost learning there uh, right. with peers so there's all this which is there and it's come up in the last 10 years largely i would say so yeah last 7 to 10 years before that it's going to be difficult even with screen writing right the screen writers association has you know put up a lot of different courses as well there's a couple of teachers who i will mention there's anjum raja bali course anjum sir is brilliant anjum sir draws a lot from indian mythology as well so i've attended his workshops he is uh, he is a doyen in script, script screen writing then uh, satyanshu singh is somebody else who's done a lot of workshops especially he started during the pandemic more as a you know he wanted to take the money that's generated from those online workshops and donate it to covid relief efforts and mm-hmm. he faced unprecedented demand there used to be 200 people joining his classes at certain wow. times and he himself would be like pretty stunned he's like why is this happening even i don't understand it so there are people individuals who are making efforts but if you look at a formal ecosystem there isn't one i i got to get back to that point you mentioned about screen writing right i mean i've i've seen ads on instagram where they say Uh, learn how to write for netflix you know uh, sign up for this course and we'll help you sort of write better so that you can sell your story uh, to amazon prime or to and make a series out of it right so is that something that you think a lot more people are now picking up on uh, especially i mean there have been some success stories of some of these writers where their stories are sort of getting trans you know tran- translated to uh, you know series on netflix and these other ott platforms and is is that one of the reason why you see there is a lot more investment or this entire uh, ecosystem that sort of building around rather than something like you know storytelling or you know writing for paperbacks which in india has been around for ages now i think you made the point sandeep like uh, it's a, a lot of thing has to do with money and narrative right so there's a narrative that's come up uh, in india i would say it's more like it's a very bombay you know mumbai sort of you know mumbai delhi narrative which is um, there is money in writing for ott uh, just like there was a narrative i think 5 years ago in india which is there is money in doing stand up comedy it's a very these are very difficult routes if i'm honest like if you want to pitch a series to netflix you want to pitch a series to amazon prime it's a lot of work you won't be able to pitch based on a concept note at all you'll actually have to write a sort of you know a fuller you, you'll have to write the screenplay for like a couple of episodes at least um but um because that narrative has gained so much traction as you very nicely put it that there's money in writing for television 
not for television sorry there's money in writing for ott platforms so a lot more people are like finding it aspirational to learn how to write for the screen and uh, i completely agree with you i think that is also why a lot of these courses are like popping up this is also the case in uh, in the west in the us i think uh, if i'm not i don't know about the numbers in india but i do know that writing for uh, you know ott and writing for television actually pays a lot more than writing a film script it's also mm. a lot more certainty because uh, you probably will not have to write an entire series for you to you know get hired Mm. Uh, while for a film script you actually have to have the script before you get hired you have to write the full script and then there will be a lot of rewrites while the series you know you're getting paid per episodes every time a season gets renewed you're getting more money so mm. uh, yeah money is driving a lot of the, this and uh, and the narrative around money is also doing it chandrama so here's a question which i think everybody has been trying to find an answer i'm not I'm, I'm, i don't know if there's a direct answer but what defines a national best seller Oh man this is such a gray area in the indian market <laughs> so it's a very very gray area india has a really really high percentage of books that don't even cover their initial costs so we have a lot of volume and very few uh, books that kind of you know become go viral in that sense and become best sellers uh, i've heard the number of 5000 being banded about which is basically a book is sold out on its first print and goes into reprint mm. as that's that's being considered a best seller what i've heard again this is from other people because i'm not a publisher i don't have access to the numbers is that if your book has sold 5000 copies in print it is probably in the top 5% of like books sold that year so in a way it is a best seller wow so yeah that's the kind of deal but Yeah I think the word best seller is used very very loosely I am personally like a little uncomfortable with it as well because it means different things to different people you know I I know that my book was number 1 in the horror category for like 10 days or so but in a way it is a best seller but it's a best seller in a category on a very yeah. specific platform it is not mm. a best seller in that sense like I just want to keep it very very honest Yeah, but I, I think at the same time, I think horror is still a, a well-defined, well-known category. But I feel like we've reached a point where people have started making their own categories, and the book coming up at uh, you know at number one, and you can just go ahead with the moniker that this is a a number one or a national bestseller. Like I actually know there are genres like Nordic noir, where it's like a psychological thriller set in Scandinavia or something, uh, or, or maybe it's it's it was the number one book in. poetry which is poetry composed of uh, spam email message um, subject lines you know things like that very weird very unique very niche categories just created for the sake of it just so that the book gets the number one in that list i love it it's basically you're like i'm not going to play the games that you play i will make a separate game and i will declare myself the winner <laughs> this is amazing this is amazing i i i actually think it's a uh, I don't find it bad I actually find it really funny I think it's one of the really I think it's creative amazing. isn't it yeah it's so creative it's so like it's very like you know life finds a way nature finds a way jugadu very like it's kind of that thought process <laughs> I'll give you another one chandrima twitter fiction I think that's another category that's coming up it's basically short stories and novels composed entirely of tweets and I guarantee you've got a bunch of tweets which could pro- probably have a an entire novel written out of it <laughs> 
I actually love it because I'm like, uh, you know, you don't have to really market your stuff on Twitter beyond the point because the platform itself has that way of like if people, if three of your people like it, then they'll share it, share it, share it. Unlike, you know, <laughs> in a separate platform, you have to pull people in. Sure. And there are some amazing, like there's one, there's one dude called Ramkid at, at the rate R-A-M-K-I-D. That's his, his name is Ramki, of course. He's a, he's a, he's an advertising person. He's been in the industry for decades. His stories, my God, I'm like, I look forward to them. And when he doesn't write a new story for a few weeks, I'm like, what's happening? Please give me a new story. <laughs> so he's amazing. I think there are other, other writers. I think Shiv Ramdas had this whole story about, um, you know, his brother-in-law and the rice during uh, during the pandemic. Shiv, Shiv Ramdas is actually a science fiction writer, funnily enough, who's based in the US. The whole brother-in-law and rice story went really, really viral. So that's uh, those are those are fun things. I think I think with doing uh, you know stories and tweets on an existing platform that has a very different that has a very playful vibe because you're not making money out of it. You're getting views out of it, and you're kind of entertaining people, and they'll decide whether it's good or not. And for all our podcast listeners, we'll make sure to include all those links in the description. And Arun, I was just thinking. I think it's time we made our own category on the Spotify podcast categories list. Yeah, I think that way we. I think that way we 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 sort of go somewhere with this podcast. I think that might really help. I think it's a great idea. And once you get five thousand views, you should say that you're a bestseller because that's the best benchmark seller, yeah. in a different different category. Five thousand sales. So that's it. So Chandrima, you've got a a book uh, coming up very very soon. In fact, as this episode's released, it's probably already out there. Um, Harper Collins actually says, uh, "From strange sightings to urban legends, from haunted buildings, not so friendly ghosts, uh, it's a you know a spine tingling tale. Um, you know various colleges that you've been to as well, um, or rather been inspired from. Uh, it's a collection of ten tales that reimagine college urban legends and true first-person accounts. Um, do you want to maybe tell us a bit more, tell the audience and the listeners a bit more about what to expect in your new book?" I'll tell you how the book sort of, you know, what's sort of the thought process behind the book. I think coming of age is is a great, you know, sort of a place in our life where a lot of stories come from. And it's not just like today, even, you know, old in olden days, a lot of mythology came from, you know, when a person is transitioning from teenage into adulthood, that place in their life. Now, the stories in Youngblood are coming of age stories, but they are coming of age stories that take a turn into the dark side. That's essentially how I would put it. I think uh, when we went to college, we were still growing up. There was a, there were a lot of you know we still had a lot of dreams and aspirations about what we wanted to do. There was this whole element of discovery. So in a way, we discovered fun, we discovered friends, but we also discovered new fears. Right? You know, you're hmm. you're out of your family sort of grip for the first time in life, and. I found so many real life, you know, accounts and urban legends. So I'll give you a couple of examples. There was this, there's this whole, you know, if you look at the IITs and, you know, start going through Quora or even like having conversations with alumni about ghost stories on their campus, they will almost always tell you stories about somebody who was under pressure and committed suicide. And then, you know, their ghost is seen or a particular room is locked up because it's, you know, still haunted by that person. And I saw this motif repeating across a lot of different IITs. You know, IIT Madras had one suicide sort of, you know, mm-hmm. story. 
um kanpur had one roorkee had one itbhu had one oh, wow. and then i was like this is such a recurring theme you know why do they why why is this happening so then i crafted a story from that you know sort of motif and set it in an iit and i was like okay, you know this is kind of what the whole theme is this there was another beautiful and very interesting story about um, the you know the, in uh, in ferguson college in in pune there is this whole you know they often see this you know spirit or specter in the in the gardens and uh, there's a whole story behind that that that's actually a spot where a real life murder happened in 1993 you know student was murdered by her boyfriend and they often like people stay away from that spot so then i went into like why is that and so i built a story or a narrative around that the narratives are my interpretations the urban legends and first person accounts are not mine they are sort of drawn from the collective consciousness as they call it so each of the 10 stories has one collective consciousness urban legend first person account at center and the interpretation of the character the events are all mine and that's what you're in for in the 10 stories each of them take a fear of that you know age coming of age into the dark side a real life you know urban legend first person account and marry it with my imagination that's how i would describe the work coming of age into the dark side is such a killer line i got to tell you that because if i were to read that line on a poster i'd, I'd genuinely be intrigued with that itself Thanks, you, 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 if you mistaken <laughs> to think it's a story of anakin skywalker <laughs> i think so i think uh, indra pramit pramit das who's written the devourers he's one of india's few you know uh, literary horror writers i would say he he gave me this beautiful line and i'm going to repeat it so he basically says young lad is a compelling creepy and always entertaining campus road trip around in india haunted by horrors put societal and supernatural and i'm like this man has condensed my entire book into one line beautifully yeah imagine if this if you know if, i i do wonder if the marketing campaign had sort of guidelines like some of the superhero movie franchises saying say absolutely nothing otherwise yeah. you know otherwise the deal no, is no, no spoilers <laughs> Like, the kind of things the kind of stuff that tom holland always gets into the trouble that he gets into <laughs> where he blurts out spoilers left right and center oh my god if i'm but, giving out spoilers it... for my own work that would be apne pair pe kulhari as they say in hindi but i got to ask uh, I, i know you said this you know the book is uh, you know inspired by a whole lot of true events uh, any any of the story any colleges that you want to sort of call out if you are okay calling them out uh, that that maybe some of the readers of young blood might realize that hey i've got this this story is from my college here oh yeah i'd love to do that so let me call out the colleges the first college in the in the book is actually a college which is abandoned so it's khairatabad science college in hyderabad the abandoned building still stands there uh, it's just under under the flyover so if anybody wants to like go and sniff around there do it at your own risk under the flyover <laughs> sounds so exciting under the <laughs> i think the so the say the second story in the book is set in uh, saint beats college uh, in shimla uh, i think preeti zinta is an alum alumni they have a lot of like really well known alumni i loved writing the story simply because it's set in shimla and set in the mountains and i'm a mountain hmm. child i was born in shillong in meghalaya so i love mountains i love those you know wind in your you know howling in the air the cold mm. at night this just the very atmospheric scene beads um the then delhi university delhi university definitely makes it to my book there's a very interesting story 
set in uh, i wouldn't say in du inside the campus it's set, set in one of the paying guest in mukherjee nagar uh, so i think a lot of you know outstation students not you know you know they are very who've not been in the hostel they would be familiar with that area then we have um, pune university so you know the housemates in pune you study in symbiosis or in pu or somewhere else or somewhere else uh. you guys take up a house it's a very common practice in pune so then right. there's that uh we have iit kharagpur as well there's a story there then we have ferguson college in pune there's a story there which i already mentioned in terms of you know they see the specter in the campus some in your know, campus ground sometimes or there's a cold spot or something i took some of that um then we have uh, kasturba medical medical college in manipal we have one story said there we have one story in iit kanpur we have one story which is set in shillong it is uh, it's actually set in saint anthony's college in shillong to some extent but a lot of it actually has to do with shillong of the early 90s so yeah it's saint hmm. anthony's but it's also really shillong in the height of its insurgency in the early 90s uh then we have uh, the last story which is set in nit durgapur <laughs> ooh she skipped the best for last no, sorry that's just me be it's the shortest <laughs> story in the entire book it's the shortest story in the entire book so i've kept uh, i've kept that for the last one it's also it's also based on again something that really did happen a lot of the girls remember the incident so if you if anybody from ooh. our batch picks this up they be like oh my god we know exactly what she's talking about chandra we do want to thank you for coming on it's been an absolute absolute pleasure i mean we can just go back to you know just, it's been a, kind of like a nostalgia ride for us like the three of us is talking through um how we've got on you know since our days back in college and you know how our journeys have changed and everything and your amazing amazing journey uh, into writing what would you say is maybe just ended on this note what's your message to aspiring writers or people who are on the fence about getting into writing what is that message you would have for them don't lose touch with it is always is what i say i think when it comes to like me suddenly becoming a writer it is it is only because i never forgot i never completely you know let that side of myself languish even when i was really really busy with work i would still do like storytelling i would still do something i never let it go so don't let it go its time will come if it has to come it will come it, it's okay if it doesn't it's all right like there are many parts of you that are there and nature will decide which one needs to bloom in at what time okay so if you've reached this far you clearly know how much fun we had chatting with chandrama her latest book young blood is available on amazon and you can get it as a paperback a kindle or even an audiobook it's a collection of 10 terrifying tales from college and maybe one of them is from yours make sure you get your copy by clicking on the link in the show description this happens to be our longest episode yet and also the final episode in this series the joy of reading creating this series has been such an insightful journey and we hope you had a good time listening let us know which episode you like the most reach out to us on facebook or instagram our handle is hyom podcast that's it from us today until next time don't forget to unmute yourself <laughs> <laughs>